always uh always do your best always to get back up and try you know try again you know i think if you're not failing you're not learning the future of dentistry belongs to the innovators welcome to innovation in dentistry i'm your host sean zias and i believe that the future of dentistry is going to be unbelievably great over the next decade and two decades but the question isn't that the question is are you going to be part of what makes dentistry great. I am here with the one and only Coach K. Um, not only someone I view as an innovator in dentistry, but also um, just a just a dear friend of mine. So I just want to say, Coach K, thank you so much for taking the time to even join me today. Um, thanks for being here. Hey, Sean, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here and uh, looking forward to our conversation. I love sharing specifically what I mean by innovation because innovation can mean a lot of different things. And in dentistry, it could refer to clinical dentistry and it could refer to the technology that's starting to shape where dentistry is going. But the application that I really care about is what is it that gets dental professionals like you um, to have what, what mindsets, what belief sets Get it so that you guys can continue to overcome, continue to pioneer and to rise above because dentistry is just downright difficult. And for those that may not know you, you are probably one of the most resilient people. I know Coach K. Um, I just I just want to honor you for that. Like like you get up time and time and time again. I don't know. Did you ever box as a kid? No, yeah, no. Well, I played ice hockey. Oh well, that's so occasional boxing yeah I, I would say that's practically just as crazy right you're getting hit in the head you're uh having to throw down um but but really what do you credit to your resilience yeah um just i mean that's just the way i was brought up uh you know just to always uh always do your best always to get back up and try you know try again you know i think if you're not failing you're not learning um i like to tell you know, I tell my, my kids or like kids I coach as well, like skating or skiing. I mean, if, if you're not falling, you're not trying hard enough. Like, uh, it's a great analogy in skiing. You know, when someone's learning how to ski, really, if they're not falling down, they're just not trying hard enough. Like you, you get to the point where, you know, kids don't have very far to fall and they, they're fearless. But as you get older and you have someone that's maybe a teenager and they're you know, good intermediate skier and they're skiing nice tame trails um, and they're not really falling. It's because they're not trying hard enough, you know, get up on the big slope, get, get in there somewhere where it scares you and, and go, and you're going to fall. You're going to fall. There's no way you're not going to fall. Um, and that's how you learn. You get back up, fall, you learn. If you're not, if, you, if you're not falling down, you're not trying hard enough. And then you just got to pick yourself back up and keep going. You know, I think that's a great analogy, especially with skiing. You know, growing up in New Hampshire, I started skiing when I was four years old. And you could play it safe, like you're saying, and you could kind of stay in that pizza um, position where you're just slowly and controllably going down really easy green, you know, trails. But you're, you're like, like you said, you're never going to learn, you know, to all of a sudden go more parallel with your skis, keep your knees closer together learn right. how to use poles you, yeah you're gonna fall you know, you know I, not, not, I, I hear some i hear some uh uh implant teach educators in the industry ask well how many how many implants have you had that failed oh well, i haven't had any that failed and the answer from the the experts the teachers are like well then you just didn't do enough yet because if you do enough you're gonna have failures now failure often sounds really scary you know coach k when it comes to the clinical lens, right? You know, like no one wants to be failing clinically. Um, do you feel like you have the same hat on when you're thinking of the business of dentistry, uh, the ventures that you've undertaken, or, or like, do you feel like it's the same hat as the one that you have when you are a clinician? Uh, or do you feel like you're more open to risk and, and failing forward in your business ventures? So, you know, business owners in dentistry have you know, have it a little bit easier than, for instance, running a, uh, a grocery store, the, the margins are paper thin. There's nowhere to make mistakes. You know, 
the dental business, you know, you can really stumble for years and at least, at least get by maybe not as profitable as you should be or could be, but you can get by. So you have, you have a big range of error there. Um, then you have doing your clinical dentistry, which you should be the expert at and, you know, perfection should not be the goal. Excellence should be the goal, <clears throat> but, um, you're going to be a lot more excellent in your clinical dentistry than you are in the business side, unless you went and got your MBA first and then went to dental school, then I would expect that you'd be fantastic on both sides. So, you know, you have to, uh, if you're going to be a business owner in dentistry, you have to probably spend a lot more time focusing on the business side that you're not trained in. Uh, but you have to, if you're going to own a business, you got to train yourself on the business side as much as being a dentist, you need to train yourself on the clinical side. I think that's one of the things that makes dentistry from a dental owner perspective very difficult because it's 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 two very different jobs that you have and that you're getting paid for not just one yeah i mean they're they're completely different and that's where i'm always amazed because i feel like as a clinician you're probably really trying to lower risk um reduce liability you know no one wants these lawsuits and you're trying to probably really stay within this place of where can i be great at and where can i make sure there's consistent outcomes but then in business you know, like if you do something and you try to start your own practice or, you know, you try to start kind of a, a DDSO or some of the things you've pioneered in, I mean, there's really not this guarantee or there's not this proven path. There's a lot more risk and there's a great chance that you're probably going to fall on your face the first few times, you know? Uh, and yet I feel like you've had the ability to navigate in both areas. Um, like, do you always feel like you were an entrepreneur growing up? Um, I, yeah, you know, when I was in, in junior high school and high school, never, um, I never had a job. I never had uh, a job paycheck working for, um, another company, be that good or bad. Um, it's because I, I went out and did things on my own. I, I mowed the lawn. I mowed the neighbor's lawn. I bought a trailer. We bought a whole bunch of equipment. I hired three or four kids in the neighborhood. Now we're mowing a hundred lawns a week. Um, and delivered papers on the side. So I kind of always worked for my, always kind of had the energy to work for myself and not just uh, get a job. Um, I, I would create the jobs for myself. And I created that, that lawn service I did from uh, the time I was you know, 14 years old and until just before I graduated from dental school. Now, I, I've heard stories, and I just need to make sure this is true. Rumor has it, you got into dental school when you were 17. Is this one of those things, kind of like the, what is it, uh, Han Solo, where he's like, all the stories were true, you know? Yeah. <laughs> People yeah, just start yeah. <laughs> There's this lore about what happened with, like, you know, Luke and Han in, in the Star Wars. Like, Man. okay, is that really true that you got into dental school at 17? I got accepted into a seven-year program at Villanova and Georgetown um, when I was, uh, that was maybe before, yeah, no, I just turned 17. Um, I got accepted, ironically, Villanova, Georgetown in, in 1985 played in the national championship basketball game on April 1st, 1985. And that day in the mailbox, I got my acceptance letter to Villanova University and Georgetown Dental School at 17 years old. Oh my gosh. So did you know like for a long time that you wanted to be a dentist? Yeah, you know, I, like, I I'm always um, curious about the origin story because dentistry is so weird. It's such an right. odd industry. Yeah, and you know I got lucky that I wound up loving dentistry. Um I wanted to I, I wanted to be in medicine. Um I initially I think like a lot of kids, I wanted to be a veterinarian. Um but I want to do horses because my dad and my uncle were into the thoroughbred horse racing, uh, Belmont Stakes, uh, the Kentucky Derby. You know, I live here in New York where uh, we have two racetracks and um, I wound up being allergic to animal hair. So that wasn't going to be an option. <laughs> and um, But I, I wanted to be some type of doctor early on in my life. 
Okay, wait, wait. Um, you have to explain. How did you find out you were allergic to animal hair? Oh, because my friends have dogs and cats. We didn't have dogs and cats in my house. I go over friends' houses, and my eyes would swell up. And I literally have, I literally have um, eye drop bottles all over to play in my car and the desk till the, to this day because um, we have a cat. I get it gets in my eyes, and my eyes swell up. I literally have these bottles everywhere because a couple drops goes away. So. Yeah, going over a friend's house, I just realized that this cat and dog hair is going to work out. You know, um, I never really tested the horse's hair, but I was like, that's it. That's over. Um, but I, I, ironically, I had I had a really good experience when I had braces, um, which is uh, which is funny because braces, you know, most kids have a miserable time with braces. And I, I, I really enjoyed going to the orthodontist and, you know, the way they can improve people's smiles. And, you know, this is in the early eighties when, I mean, teeth whitening wasn't really accepted. Um, we didn't have a great materials to veneer people's teeth in the early eighties. I mean, they didn't, they only started wearing gloves, um, in the, in the early eighties. So, you know, dentist, dentistry was really advanced. So I wasn't really, you know, as whole hum about going to my general dentist, but going to the orthodontist is really cool. You know, and then along the way, the advancements in cosmetics and stuff like that. Um, you know, then I just, you know, stuck with cosmetics and reconstruction. But um, so my guidance counselor knew I want to be. Uh, he, he knew I like the orthodontics. He knew I want to be. So he, he said, "Hey, there's this program. You know, what do you think? Why don't, why don't you apply?" So I was like, "Yeah, all right." I go, "I, I think I can go to dental school," and I applied and got in. But you know, who? I mean, my dad was a police officer. No one in my family was a dentist. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know how any kid at 17, 18, even 23, how do you know that you want to be a dentist unless you spend a lot of time around it? And I, and I didn't. So, you know, fast forward, I got through college uh, in three years and then went off to dental school. And when I sat down in the dental lab for the first day, uh, first week in school, and they, they gave me a, a bunch of instruments and some wax and pieces of teeth. And they said, you know, take this wax and those instruments there in the flame and make that look like a tooth. Like it's arts and crafts. I was nearly in tears. I was like, arts and crafts. Like, I, you know, I, I was a smart kid. I got through college, but I played hockey. Um, you know, I was more into sports and I also played the drums. But uh, arts and crafts weren't my thing. Like I couldn't draw anything. <laughs> now, now I have to mold this wax into a tooth. Um, you know, so that the, the the book part of dental school came pretty easy for me. But the arts and crafts part was it was a struggle at first. And uh, you know, I, I wound up really enjoying it. I, I wound up by the end of first year, I was doing all my classmates' wax ups in the dorm. Like I loved it. I just like it clicked. I clicked, really liked it, was really good at it, and absolutely love it. So, you know, I tell everyone, like, yeah, well, I got accepted to dental school at 17, but I got real lucky. You know, I could have hated it, or I could have, like, just been like, this isn't for me. I can't do this. Um, but, uh, yeah, it worked out. So, 17, and I graduated at 24, and here I am. It's just past my 31st uh uh, year of graduation. <laughs> Gosh, it sounds so funny, but you know, on the flip side, Hey, I'm only, I, I just turned 55 and it's been 31 years. So, uh, I, I still love every minute of it. So for me, it wanted to be a great decision, but, um, you know, mostly got lucky that it worked out because that's really young to know that you want to do something for the rest of your yeah. life. You, you know, one of the things that turned me off about dentistry. You know, my dad started a dental supply company and as a 14 year old, I'm going to Chicago midwinter and Yankee dental walking these shows. And from that time on, he had me do lots of like customer service or sales type things where I was talking to dentists. Um, and oftentimes I wasn't talking to the dentist, right? I was talking to the team, but at the events like that, the dentists are walking around with their team. And I remember trying to connect with dentists and trying to have like meaningful conversations 
And even my first few years of, you know, owning the company I had before Zana, uh, Roots Cause, like I found dentists so closed off and almost um, they had such an ego. Like everything was great. They were living their best life. They were just crushing it. Uh, and maybe because I wasn't a dentist, they they wouldn't open up to me. But then I talked to some of my dental friends and they're like, well, no, that's actually one of the struggles that dentists have is like, you know, you have to have this perfect life because that's just how the world sees you. And I just want to honor you because I feel like you've been such a transformative leader because you you are transparent. You are vulnerable. You know, if I remember you gave a speech, what was that? Smiles at Sea in 2020, was it? Mm, yeah. Maybe uh, and, and that that wasn't about the bright lights and, and the fame and the fortune. Yeah. That was about the peeling back the curtain about some of the darker things about dentistry. Right. Actually it was early in that it was probably, it was before COVID, so two thousand eighteen. Yeah, in two thousand um and so I started my own practice uh from scratch um after dental school. Um and I didn't go to Georgetown Dental School because Georgetown Dental School had closed while I was at Villanova to throw a hurdle in there. Um, you know, now my perfect seven year program is the dental school closed. So you had to get accepted to a different dental school. Um, I wound up going to Tufts university, which I loved it there and, uh, uh, started my own practice. Um, I, I went to, I did a fantastic general practice residency at university hospital in Stony Brook. Um, lots of trauma, um, lots of emergency room work, uh, motor vehicle accidents, broken jaws, um, all the gory stuff. And um, our inpatient clinic, we only treated medically compromised patients because Stony Brook has a dental school across the street. So if you're a healthy patient, you go to the dental school. We only treated the people that had HIV, high-risk cardiovascular, um, developmentally disabled children, um, and did a lot of hospital dentistry as well as the emergency oral surgery stuff. Um, so that gave me a lot of confidence and we every Friday we'd take out like 50 wisdom teeth and wisdom teeth in the OR and you know when you have all these other doctors standing behind you it was just a fantastic learning experience and it's unfortunate that it's not a requirement for every dentist out of dental school to do a residency like like that and I don't even think they exist to the level that they did when I graduated in 92 <clears throat> um, but I credit that to a huge start uh, in my career. And I opened up my own practice two years out. Uh, so at 27 years old, I started my office from scratch, no patients, <clears throat> borrowed all the money and opened the practice. And, you know, things went very well. Uh, things went fantastic for a long time. But, um, you know, fast forward to 2015 and I lost all that. Um, and not because the business wasn't doing well. The business was doing fantastic. Um, the business uh, was doing very well. And unfortunately, not only did I get into dental school early, graduate dental school early, start a business real early in dentistry, but um, I got married real young also and got two sons out of it. And, you know, that, that just spiraled out of control, didn't work out and divorce left to me losing my office, me losing, uh, my home, not in the divorce, but I, I got in the divorce. I got my, I got the house, I got the kids, I got my boat, I got my two cars, but the court forced me to pay $20,000 a month in alimony. So Wait, did you just say $20,000 a month? Yeah, I don't think some movie stars play that, pay that much in alimony. Um, because the courts <clears throat> in Connecticut just, they look at tax returns, they look at bank statements, that's it. And judges are not accountants. And, you know, but whatever. We're not going to talk about judges or politics or anything like that. But, you know, people in politics and judges should not be doing bank, should not be doing accounting for anybody. Um, so, we, <clears throat> yeah, so, you know, that didn't last very long and, you know, uh, Steve Kane at Kane Waters in Dallas, uh, was my financial advisor at the time. He wrote a, he wrote a letter to the court. He said, you know, the only, 
the only person this works for is Walter because he'll be in jail getting three meals a day um, while everybody else will be figuring out where the money's coming from <laughs> because, yeah, this isn't going to work out very long. And, you know, I juggled it for as long as I could. And, you know, it just spiraled down the point where I had to get rid of the office. Uh, I lost my house in foreclosure and was just all of a sudden the first time in my life in 2015 now with uh, a job for the first time I ever had a W-2 working for somebody else and working in someone else's dental office. Um, so yeah, that talk that I gave at Smiles at Sea was just the, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a dark time. You know, I, I never came, I never came close to that. I mean, I gave this speech that, you know, a lot of people came forward and were worried about me uh, and suicide watch and stuff like that, because I did say there were there were mornings I laid in bed on cold, dark, snowy days like we have in New England here and nobody goes out and patients don't show up and nobody wants to go to work. And, you know, just like laying in bed thinking about, you know, I'm I'm 30 minutes from New York City. There's like 17 bridges like which bridge I want to drive my car today and just, you know, go take a high dive. Um, I did have those thoughts. I mean, I never came close to um, that. I mean, you know, there's one thing about thinking about it and actually doing it, but you know, I love my family. I love my, I love my kids I, and I love doing dentistry, but it was a deep, dark time that, you know, all that I accelerated at the early time in life had now been, it was like a starting over, you know, starting all over again in my mid to late forties. But, uh, and you know, being bankrupt, like, you know, get finding a job was a struggle. Um, I go to the bank and, uh, buy a car. How do you go to the bank and get a loan to open a business and then even have a conversation that like, well, you know, I didn't lose my business because the business wasn't doing well. I lost my business because right. the court told me you either pay this much money a month or you're going to jail. <laughs> so, right. I mean, things that things that have changed. I mean, I had a I had to file bankruptcy as a strategy, um, but now all the other strategies weren't there anymore. Like, how do you get a business loan? How do I start another business? And you know, the the way I ended that. A talk a talk ends in a positive way um it, it, i i i now have three businesses i have two dental practices i own a medical building and i did all that without ever going to the bank or rich parents or win the lottery um no i didn't have any of that i didn't have any money hidden under the mattress i couldn't get money from the bank and i don't have rich relatives that gave me the money i had to do it all on my own with no help and so what's that? It was, well, it's eight years later now um, to have two thriving dental practices and own the building. But um, you, that's what I mean about getting up every time you fall. You know, it's not over. It's just learning experience. So I've already done a startup. Now I did two more startups and another practice. Um, you know, and each time was each successive time, the timeline to start to profitability was shorter just because you're more experienced. You know what to do. Um, and you just can't give up. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta move on. So coach K to talk about what happened in 2015, you know, you went through a divorce, uh, you experienced bankruptcy, uh, and pretty much your whole world getting shaken. Uh, and then to realize that, you actually went through a tragedy last year that eclipsed all of that. Are you, uh, are you ready to talk about what happened last year? Yeah. So, you know, I'm, uh, life is good. I have a, uh, Kristen, my wife, and we have a 10 year old. Um, and we've been together for, you know, she, lived through all this with me for the last 15 years. Um, and, uh, you know, things were really good. Um, 
both new practices uh, going well. And she was a big part of that. Um, my oldest son uh, had just graduated from the College of Charleston in South Carolina. And my middle son, Alex, was playing uh, junior hockey um, just before going off to college. Um, then uh, one morning to wake up with uh, a couple of police officers in the driveway uh, knocking on the door to tell us that our um, my oldest son, Luke, who had just graduated from College of Charleston, had um, passed away last night. Um, and uh, so we found out um, from fentanyl poisoning. He had a, he had a prescription for uh, Ativan and He'd, he'd been seeing a psychologist as well. Actually, we had an appointment. Um, I did a video teleconference with him, uh, not even seven days earlier, because he asked me to be on it. And, you know, me, him, and the psychologist were talking. And psychology asked me, like, do you have any questions? I said, I don't have any questions. I said, Luke asked me to be here. Um, so, no, he wanted me to be here in this conversation. So I don't know if he had something that he wanted to talk about. And he said, no, I just wanted um, my dad to be involved. So I said, well, the only question I have, you know, then is, you know, um, uh, you know, are, are things good? He would, he had just got a job. Um, he was getting his real estate license in South Carolina and he was about to start a job on August 1st last year. Um, so he was only a few weeks away from starting this new job. Um, he had stress and anxiety issues. Um, he was on a prescription for Ativan, which this psychologist had, had given him. And um, went out with his friends one night. He called me before he went out. Uh, said, love you, Dad. I'll call you in the morning. And then later that night, after going out with his friends, him and a couple of friends went back home to late at night um, after the restaurants and bars closed in downtown Charleston. And they bought a couple of Ativan pills at the gas station. Oh. He had a prescription for Ativan, so why he was buying Ativan at a gas station. And it was laced with fentanyl, and uh, he, you know, was probably didn't last more than a minute after he had taken it with his friends there. And, um, yeah, the, probably the worst thing in the world, or worst feeling in the world that you can uh, have. I mean, not a day goes... Now the day goes by, I don't think about, think about it, think about him. Um, you know, you never know what's going to hit you. Um, talking about it right now, um, last night, you know, I was in tears last night just for no reason, just because some memory pops in your head. Um, so, you know, that, that, that shut our office down for about a month and, uh, you know, we got we got by and uh eventually went back to work and you know i have to i got a 10 year old i got a 23 year old in, in college his two other brothers my wife Kristen, and you know i got you gotta live on for them and you know he's in heaven he's on the other side and you know we got an angel watching over us now and um you know, besides talking about the uh, the bankruptcy and foreclosure, because I think it's a dark place where other dentists just don't want to help other dentists out just because maybe they don't want anyone to know they, they've been through it. But, um, you know, I do those talks and I did that first talk at Smiles for C because I want other people to know that there's people out there that have been through it that, that can help you. Um, you know, initially I was filing my bankruptcy in the chapter 11 to reorganize, uh, which didn't work out for whatever reasons, you know, um, especially when that, your, your ex-wife wants to thwart the reorganization. Um, you know, I moved forward. I did the, I did chapter seven bankruptcy by myself. I followed by myself. I mean, I spent so much time in the court, um, 
with divorce and so much time in the court on the bankruptcy when it, it the chapter 11 didn't work out reorganization didn't work out i did chapter seven by myself yeah it was stressful as hell and reach out to other people uh in the field or whoever you know there was nobody that wanted to give you advice about divorce there was nobody that wanted to hold your hand through the bankruptcy and not even hold your hand just someone to ask questions to you know just um you know when when my son passed away there was plenty of people um it was amazing how many people i knew other people that lost their kids um we i i there's two charities for the last 20 years that i've been supporting both of them lost their kids in their 20s and i just been they've been my two charities that we support for for 20 years um so i knew these two good friends of mine lost their kid in their 20s and um you know so i, I reached out to them right away um they reached out to me but then i found so many other people that i didn't know lost a child and were willing to help and there's really i mean there's nothing you can do or say to someone who lost a child but just knowing that other people have been through it and are there to listen was helpful and the same thing with the bankruptcy or divorce um you know there's there's there are plenty of other people going through it i'm here you know i want to be here for just give me a call let me know what what you're feeling what you're going through nobody can help you with your exact situation you need really good attorneys for that but where you need to reach out to friends or colleagues just for emotional support and you know just finding out other people that lost their kids and they're there for you you just you can lean on them or just know that they're okay the the thing that helped me the most was we have a great priest um at our church here in Walton Connecticut uh father reggie is just amazing and um i always looked up to his homilies at church on sundays and I knew him as our, 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 our priest and, uh, but I didn't know him personally. Um, and that maybe <clears throat> four hours after the shock, <laughs> can't say the shock was over after four hours, but <laughs> I just didn't know what to do. And I just, after sitting around for four hours, like, I just can't believe what just happened. I reached out to father Reggie, um, I said, maybe he recognized me from being in church. And I just went down there and sat there and talked to him. And, um, you know, it, it was so helpful to have someone else to, to talk to. And Father Reggie is just an incredible person, an incredible priest. And, you know, he just, he'll call me up. He'll send me a text message every so often out of the blue. He just, I just want to know, like, um, are you done blaming yourself? Are you done blaming yourself? Because I know you're still blaming yourself. I can see it. There's there's nothing you could have done. You were a good dad. You know, he, he there was nothing you could have done. You have to stop blaming yourself and move on and know that he's in a better place. And yeah, that's that's hard to do. I don't you know and I hear a lot of other dads say that too, that um there's just the hardest thing is get over the, the blame. What, what could have you done? Um, you know, especially in our profession, you know, uh, we, we want to fix things. Dentists want to fix things <laughs> and you can't, you can't fix that. I could, you know, bankruptcy, I could fix yeah. divorce. I could fix a failing business. I could fix, um, you know, that's easy. You know, you have dental dental office that's not performing well. I mean, I know I can go into any office in the country and get them and improve by twenty percent uh, in thirty days or less. And and that's that's not what I do. I'm not a practice management guru, but I know I can do that. 
because I've gone into these two offices that we took over and saw them go from failure to thriving. That's fixable. You lose, lose, a, lose a child. You, there's nothing, nothing in the world that you could do and nothing in the world that's going to take away that sick feeling. Um, I just want to acknowledge you and just the courage you have, Coach K, to to be strong enough to actually just share, like, reality. Like, the reality, your story has been very, very difficult. And you are not alone. There's dental professionals. There's just humans all around that have experienced struggle, not maybe in the same exact way, but you, you know what I'm saying? Like, different nuances. I know one of my closest friends, um, he lost a son of his, uh, he's significantly older than me. He's more like my dad's age and, uh, my friend. And I told you like right away, he started all of a sudden, um, getting these herds of longhorns where he'd have 70 Texas longhorn in this herd and he would just be around them. And it was like terrifying. They have these horns they are going out. It's all around your vital organs. And it's like him and his wife, like they kind of just, or his wife and I realized like, he almost lost, not lost the will to live, but didn't mind if he flirted with things that were risky yeah. because that just means he would see his son sooner, you right. know? And and just seeing how he moved on, I, I I can't imagine that. You know my story about losing my mom. And losing a parent, it's natural. You know you're going to lose your parent at some point. If it's premature, it's unfortunate. It's always unfortunate. But there's nothing that compares to... Like you should never lose a child, right? You should never see your child end up getting their life taken. So I just um, thank you so much just for sharing. Um, one of the things I completely believe is that in moments of the greatest adversity, tragedy, while we never want tragedy to happen, we never want adversity to happen, we have a choice whether we're going to get embittered, whether we're going to get resentful, whether we're going to become more victimized and blame the world, or we actually find this gold that's in these moments that can actually empower us to fulfill this mission that maybe we were here to fulfill. And like you have a way to reach people that I don't know anyone else that can reach people the way you can, Coach K. And I don't, I, I, I am here with complete conviction, believing you have not yet fulfilled your greatest role in dentistry. It's not leading a great practice, although you do that and you do that well. I, I believe it probably is helping those in dentistry that come against these same exact things. And when they look around, there's nobody there. When you were bankrupt, you were looking around and it was almost like it was a disease. People didn't want to catch it, right? Maybe he's contagious. <laughs> You know, maybe his calamity is going to spread to me and people want to stay away. And I'm so thankful for the dental community. I saw when that tragedy happened with Luke, I saw the way that Elijah and so many people came and surrounded you with prayers and support. And I know it doesn't take away what happened, but I'm very thankful that we're in a, an industry and in a community that is so supportive and so, I don't know, just connected. And I'm really thankful for that. I'm thankful for the way you are with me coming off the tragedy with my mom. Uh, I don't know why I said four years ago. I think it was only, I don't even yeah. know right now. Like, I, like, you know, with loss, it's like time just takes on different meaning. It's like in some ways it completely stops and the pace of, of time never moves on the same after you encounter a loss. You know how you said your friend kind of got in a risky behavior after a loss and like, you know, well, a loss of a spouse or a divorce or something like that. And people just like, you know, I, one of the practices that I took over um, a few years ago, uh, fantastic dentist, um, worked way too late in his ages, and patients would say, you know, he was really getting grumpy. Or and then other people would say, you know what, he was always grumpy. And, you know, this is for my tragedy. Um, and I would say to those patients, I go, do you know he lost his son when he was when the child was 19 years old, I go, man, that's why he's a little cranky sometimes. And, you know, that didn't happen to me. And I said to my older son, the 20, now 23 year old, 
Um, the 10 year old was there too, but, um, you know, I said to him, I go, I don't want to be that person that for the rest of my life, I'm going to be cranky and or mad, uh, at the world because I got you two to take care of and I got to be here for you two. And I can't tell you that sometimes it's not so hard to get out of bed or not break down. I mean, you can jump in the car and be in a fantastic mood and the wrong song comes on the radio and it kills you. You can't do anything about that. But, you know, I have a fantastic wife, Kristen. I got two other boys, Aiden and Alex, that I got to be here for. And they're hurting too. So I don't want to be that person where, you know, when I retire and the new guy comes in and they say, you know, Dr. K, he was, he was grumpy. <laughs> no, that's, that's, you know, that's not the way to move on. That's not a way to live. And, you know, to honor your, your, your child that you lost and, you know, accountability, uh, accountability is a, is a big issue in, in the world right now. And I don't think it's generational. I don't think it's, you know, these young kids or, this, that, I mean, you know, accountability is an issue everywhere in the world right now in any age. Um, and I don't get political. Um, I talk to all the religion I will because Father Reggie has helped me a ton. Um, but, um, you know, my son Luke decided to take that pill that night. It was laced with fentanyl. They know who sold it to him. That person's been arrested on other charges because there's no drug law in many states. Um, we're talking about illicit fentanyl, not fentanyl they use in the hospital. Um, illicit fentanyl that the precursors are made in China. They're shipped over the, they're shipped to Mexico. They're put together in Mexico. They're walked right over the border. Um, the border issues and the mail issues with China, it, it's, it's not a political issue. And our, our government's known this since 2012, 2013, they cracked down on opioids and then drug deaths skyrocketed. The border, come on, Americans don't care about immigrants. This country is built on immigrants. And plenty of immigrants got in here the right way. Our borders are open with illicit fentanyl coming through the borders. And they're killing kids. The number one killer of 18 to 45-year-olds in this country, it's actually brought the life expectancy of the human race down because so many 18 to 45-year-olds have died. It dwarfs the number of 18 to 45. 18 to 45 year olds, I know lots of friends that lost people from COVID, all ages. I know a, a friend my own age in his early 50s passed away from COVID. Um, you know, and I know a lot of other people that lost brothers and sisters and parents, all right? But the amount of people, 18 to 45, years old that have died from illicit fentanyl versus the amount of 18 to 45 year olds that have died from COVID. That's not even close. Fentanyl has killed 18 to 45 year olds, 20, maybe a hundred fold what COVID did. We, oh, and yet that's not being talked and about. And we don't even have, there's not even a drug code right now for death by fentanyl, illicit fentanyl. There's drug overdoses. There's mixed drug toxicity. So these people are getting killed. I mean, Prince died this way. Michael Jackson died this way. 
one from fentanyl, one from propofol. Um, the list goes on. Think about like how many young, you don't hear about all the young people, but you hear about movie stars, you hear about Michael Jackson, you hear about Prince, um, you, you hear about these um, famous people that are 18 to 45 year old drop dead. Why did they drop dead? It's from, it's from, from fentanyl. And the coroner has to mark down that they died of a drug overdose. They were murdered by fentanyl. All right. My son, nobody told him to take that pill. He took the pill himself. But he thought he was taking an Ativan pill. Not an Ativan pill laced with fentanyl. Now, accountability? Yeah. I hold him accountable. He made the stupid choice. Now, because there's no uh, medical code for it, because there's no law in South Carolina for it, they know the person who sold it to them, they can't arrest them. They can't arrest them. And then these people, 18 to 45 year olds, that are dying from this, are being listed, they're, they're being earmarked as drug addicts, drug addicts, drug addicts. Okay, not all of them were drug addicts. I'm sure lots of people have drug problems and overdose, but you know, they buy a Percocet pill, um, they're recreational using stuff that they did not expect to have fentanyl in it. Right. So, I mean, and the awareness is, I mean, I didn't know, and I'm a, you know, I'm a doctor. I feel like I should have known a hell of a lot more about fentanyl five years ago than I do now, but I know a hell of a lot about it now. And I know I talked to a lot of people in the community about it and it's just like, they know anything about it. They don't, they, they, and and it, it, it gets such a misnomer. Like I said, that it's just drug addicts. It's not as a scary issue that we have in this country that needs to have aggressive measures, just like we did with COVID. Yeah. Yeah. And awareness is the first start, right? It's bringing light to the fact that this is an epidemic that's really killing so many people. And yet we're not talking about it as if, you know, it's, we're not giving it the attention that it really deserves. Right. Then all of a sudden it, it hits home. And now it's like, Oh, like I, I didn't know about this at mm. all. Like I didn't know how bad this was. Right. So I'm not, I'm not. Um, so, I mean, that's where I am right now is just creating awareness for it, for so many people that don't even know it's an issue and it is picking up steam on TV and stuff and the media. And, but I mean, how can we have something that's, it's the number one cause of death for 18 to 45 year olds and our country just not coming at it with all we can come at it with. Right. I mean, it dwarfs everything. Uh, if you put uh, suicide, car accidents, and gun violence together, it doesn't equal the amount of deaths from fentanyl for the same age group. Wow. Wow. And, yeah, that's so And bad. then I, suicide as well. Lump those all in together. Doesn't either equal the deaths from fentanyl. Wow. Um, if I could just circle back really, really quickly. Um, there was something you were saying about the way that you're getting meaning so that you can move forward with, with this tragedy. Um, you know, after my mom passed, I, I was thinking like, man, like she wouldn't want something so tragic that happened to her to then take out her family. Mm -hmm. Like she wouldn't want it to somehow be this gift that I open and now all of a sudden <laughs> my life's ruined simply because right. she's not here anymore and she suffered and died, you know? And, and I'm thinking about Luke and the fact that like, he would want you like you have done to find a way to take what was tragic for him and imbue it with meaning so that your light shines brighter. Your, your, your why becomes clearer. The impact you make is now bigger so that it's like you're taking him with you. Yeah. 
and you are you father so many people as it is. That's just the way you're so generous, the way that you pour out uh, even to younger people, even with your your moniker, your name, Coach K. Like coaches are those that like go before and actually help lead a younger generation and encourage them. And, and if there's any way I can help you, whether it's continuing to provide a platform so your story gets out there, whether it's branding help, anything, Coach K, that I can do to help you have more impact and and um oh, just be able to get that message that you have out there, like please, like I, I am here. That's that's the littlest thing I can do. Yeah, you never uh you never get over it. You just uh it's not something that you get over, you just you move on, it becomes different. Um, but I mean, first you have to believe that they're in a better place, you know, uh, uh, like, you know, you, you I believe they're in a better place. You gotta, you gotta, uh, you gotta not blame yourself. I mean, other people make their own decisions and accountability is a big part of it. I know a lot of people spend so much time on these groups, online groups, like, you know, my kid was killed. My kid was killed. My kid was killed. I believe your kid was killed. He didn't mean to take fentanyl, but come on, you got to have some accountability. They did take the drugs. So you got to believe they're in a better place. Um, and you got to, you know, just, you know, move. it gets different. It gets different. You got to be there for your, your, your family and your kids. You know, hopefully you have, you know, I do I have two other kids in a life that I, I got to I gotta take care of. He's on my mind all the time. But, you know, I, I still accept the accountability. You got to get over blaming yourself as well, is what I was thinking about, because you can't do anything about what they were going to do. <sighs> Sorry. Um Oh, yeah. it's okay. I was yeah. like, all of a sudden, you went yeah. sideways. <laughs> Sorry about that. I mean, yeah, just trying not to blame yourself and knowing there's accountability there and not blaming other people for it um, isn't the right thing to do either. And not being able to live on the rest of your life is is, is not the way to, to uh, uh, remember your loved ones. No. So... And that's why I want to honor you for being so resilient. Like, again, the, the, the waves that have crashed over you the last 10 years in dentistry has taken out some of the best dentists. You know, like uh, there's so many stories and it's unfortunate of people that we all know that all of a sudden they become another statistic in dentistry of suicide. So, and yeah. Well, I'm just saying, like, I, I'm so proud of you because you keep going. Like, you, you, you have people around you. You have an amazing wife that is super supportive. You have, like you said, two boys that you're pouring yourself into. And I see you, you know, here I, I live in Phoenix. And there's something about the Phoenix, this mythical creature, that has always fascinated me because it's like rising from the ashes. And I feel like that is oftentimes the greatest people across any industry have had crazy adversity and somehow they find a way to rise right. again. And that's exactly what I see you doing right now in this season of your life. Yeah. And let, you know, let's, let's change gears a little bit. Like your, your, your focus is innovate dentistry and business leaders or innovating products or stuff like that. You know, um, the most, and this is what gets me excited about dentistry. You can hear it change my voice. I love dentistry. Okay. And innovate. This is my innovation in dentistry. And it, it's, it's, it's really expensive. Not everybody can afford this in their practice, but if you just had the mindset that people hate the dentist will change your whole life. I walked into a dental meeting one time when I was 25 years old and I'm new in town. I go to a local dental society meeting, right? And I walk in and some old guy, He's probably my age at the time, but I was 25 when I walked in. Says to me, doesn't even say hi. I'm the new guy in town. He doesn't say hi. You need to take your ad out of the newspaper. We had newspapers back then too. Uh, and I said, what? What are you talking about? Your newspaper ad that says people are afraid of the dentist. I was like, oh. So my newspaper ad said, question, are you afraid of the dentist? 
And then it said answer. And the answer was my phone number, right? Come see us. Yes. No lectures, yeah. no guilt. You're afraid of the dentist. We will take care of you. We did sedation dentistry. Yeah. So I looked at the guy and said, how long have you been a dentist? I've been a dentist for over 40 years. Okay. I go, how many new patients did you see last month? Oh, I see about three or four new patients a month. I looked at him. I said, dude, that ad brought in 100 new patients last month. And I go, just because you don't like it, next month I'm taking out two pages. And he's like, <laughs> you're making dentists look bad. I go, you've been a dentist for 40 years and you don't understand that people are afraid of the dentist? I said, you Come are on. making dentists look bad, not me. Right. And I never went back to another local dentist society meeting again. Um, there's lots of other dental groups I am part of, but I never went back to the local dental meeting again. Not if that's their mindset. So, yeah, when, uh, when I was at Tufts University in Boston, you walk down Newberry Street and there's these beautiful boutique stores and salons and little restaurants. And this is 1990s. And I'm like, look at how much women enjoy walking into these salons on Newbury Street on Saturday. They're smiling. They're happy. Yeah. You walk in, they smell different. I go, that's what dentistry should look like. Now in 1990, nobody had this spa dentistry thing. And I wrote a whole article for dental school about spa dentistry. And then it became a thing in 2000. Spa dentistry wow. became a thing, right? But like, right. If you, that's, that's the innovation. Think about the way you walk in the office. What does it look like? What does it smell like? And are you taking care of people that are afraid of the dentist and don't want to be lectured to and don't want to be made to feel guilty? I can't tell you how many times people come into my office and say, my dentist made me feel bad. He yelled at me. He told me I was a bad person. He made me feel guilty. I'm like, I don't know. Because everybody like, loves that, right? Seriously? I'm like, just, just think your business model different, okay? Dentist, dental office, no. Dental office is never going to be the spa, salon, get a massage, but you can kind of give it a better feel and you kind of can realize that people really are stressed about coming here and trying to do something to make it nicer for them. Like that's all the innovation you need. You don't need the $50,000 laser or the $300,000 x-ray machine or whatever. You need, to, you need to think about the patient experience, number one. Amen. And number two, you need to have a fantastic team, right? That's the magic bullet. Have an excellent team. Because if you have a good team and somebody leaves your office, when they go to another office, they can't buy your team. Your team's only here. No. They go to another team, they get that team. You don't like that team, you have to come back and see my team. So that's innovation. Think about the patient's no. experience when they're in your office and have a fantastic team. And if you don't have a fantastic team, train them to be a fantastic team. <laughs> it's as simple as that. So right now, Coach K, if someone wants to find out what you're doing or they want to reach out to you because they want to pick your brain about, you know, how you can increase their practice 20%, you might end up <laughs> stumbling into consulting after this podcast. Or, or they just are really in a tough time in their life. Maybe they're going through a divorce or bankruptcy and they just want to talk to someone that can understand. What's the best way for them? Yeah, my email, which is coachk at gmail.com. And it's, it's coachkay at gmail.com. So in closing, I have a question for you. Um, you graduated dental school, what did you say, when you were 24? 24. 24. 24. So... What, and Tufts, that's in, it's in the Boston, right? Okay. So you're walking down, let's say, let's say the North end, you're right in front of yeah. Mike's pastries, right? <laughs> and Walter of today passes 24 year old Walter and you have one sentiment to communicate to him. What is it that you say? Never give up. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Isn't that, that's the famous Winston yeah. Churchill, right? Never 
give up. That's all he said in his speech, I believe. So I heard, I, that is and, incredibly and I, I heard someone else say this, and it's not mine, but um, I just heard it the other day. It's like when you when you feel like you're completely fresh out of ideas, think of another one. <laughs> when you're out of strategies, you're all done, you, you, nothing worked, come up with another one because something's going to work. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Hey, Coach Kate, thank you so much. Again, I just want to honor you for the way that you have been an innovator, not simply in the things you've done in your practice, but the way that you've gotten mindsets and belief sets that have allowed you to transcend these tragedies and still keep going so that you can be there for your team, for your family, and for dentistry. You are part of what makes dentistry great. And I just want to say thank you so much for being part of the podcast. Thanks for everything you do, Sean. Appreciate you. Thank you, Coach. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And be sure to follow so you never miss an episode. To learn more about what's going on in dentistry, check out innovationindentistry.com.